Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the very same chapter we were in last week, but now later in the chapter, Luke chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 22 through 35. And what I'd like you to do is just to hold your place there for a few minutes. I want to talk about something else here before we get into the message this morning, and that is most of you know, if not all of you, that uh, last Sunday morning, Pastor Ron announced that or announced his resignation and he will be going to become the senior pastor of a church up near Cadillac. Uh, which sounds just like a great opportunity for Pastor Ron and Pam, and we will certainly miss them. And they're going to be with us throughout the month, uh, but I just publicly want to say, and will probably say again, how much we are grateful for Pastor Ron and his ministry here. Uh, served here now for 16 and a half years. It's a long time. And faithful and a godly man, and we are so grateful. And I want you to know a couple things. First of all, um, we offered to have a farewell fellowship for Pastor Ron and Pam at the end of the month. They very politely uh, declined um, and just said that was not for them. And uh, however, on the last Sunday of this month, December 30th, Pastor Ron is going to preach He's going to preach that Sunday, and you can say your farewells throughout the month, but that will kind of be their last time here before they move on uh, to their new church and your opportunity to say farewell. I just wanted to let you know that, and um, our leadership team, the pastors, elders, and deacons met Thursday night. We will soon begin uh, the process of searching for uh, a man to replace him. Um, But this is what we're going to do first. We're not going to rush into this. Again, he's with us for the whole month. First thing we're going to do is just pray. We're just going to pray. I said, let's not rush forward. Let's just pray that God will bring us exactly the right man that he has for this church. And I know as I was talking with them, you know, it's been almost... um, 18 years since we've had any of our pastors resign. And uh, praise God, we're not very good at this. (laughs) We're not. So we're going to take our time and make sure we do it right and really bathe it in prayer. And I just wanted to share that with you so that isn't left hanging. And um, and I'm thankful that we'll have Ron and Pam with us the rest of the month. So... Luke chapter 2, this is the second part of a five-part short Christmas series on how the Christmas story displays God's heart for the nations. We're looking at the Christmas story from a little different angle this year from how the Christmas story shows us God's great heartbeat to bring all peoples from every people group to worship at the throne of the Lamb. And how this is the great theme of the Bible and the great theme of biblical history. In Luke 2 verses 25 through 33, Mary and Joseph have this amazing encounter with a man named Simeon. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Well, our first point this morning is Mary and Joseph meet Simeon. Mary and Joseph, as good Hebrews, as good Jewish people, bring their infant child to the temple, to Jerusalem, to present him to the Lord, and while they are there, or while they are coming there, in the temple courts, probably they meet this man named Simeon. Very little is known about Simeon, but the sketchy profile that Luke gives us is loaded with significant content. We read that this man Simeon was righteous and devout. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man, was righteous and devout. I don't know about you, but when the holy, inspired word of God says that a man is righteous and devout, that means something. I mean, I may say, I think that man or that woman is righteous, upright, and devout. But when the inspired word of God says that, that's coming from God himself. This was a God-fearing, God-honoring man. And he was most likely an old man. Because in verse 29 it says, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It appears that he is getting near his oldest years, getting near death. And Simeon spent his time looking for the consolation of Israel. In verse 25 it says... And this man was righteous and devout, waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The consolation of Israel. It's really not complicated at all. It's simply a form of the word to console. Think of consoling someone in their grief, in their mourning, in their suffering. You come to console them. That's exactly what this means. He was waiting. Simeon was waiting for the consoling of Israel. The phrase is used in the Bible very rarely, but it is used to call attention to the Jewish hope and expectation of the coming of the Messiah. The Jews who groaned in times of bondage, who wept in times of exile, who are now oppressed under the heavy burden of the tyranny of Rome, they looked to heaven. They looked to heaven for release from their suffering. That song that we sing from time to time, How Long, O Lord? It's a song that the Jewish people sang 
for years or something like it. How long, O Lord, how long before you console Israel? How long before the Messiah comes to bring us salvation? To bring us release from our suffering and bondage? It is a people who experience grief and frustration and pain. And they need to be consoled. They are the people who look for consolation. And Simeon. Simeon spent, it appears, his adult life in a very special way, waiting for the consolation, the consoling of Israel. We are told that the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's what it says at the end of verse 25. And the context indicates that the Holy Spirit was abiding on Simeon in a special way. Now just Without making it confusing, a little bit of theological background. Pentecost obviously hasn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit had not come to indwell believers permanently like it would in the New Covenant. So, But the Holy Spirit did come upon certain people at certain times for special purposes for the plan of God. And Simeon is one of those people. And not only did he have the unique endowment of God's spirit upon him, but God had given him a very special revelation. Somehow, and we don't know all the details, God privately told Simeon that before he died, he would see the Messiah with his own eyes. Imagine that. Someday, Simeon, before you die, before they close your eyes, you're going to see the coming of the Messiah. Now, they had waited for the Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. What a promise to this man. In verse 26, it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ being the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament word Messiah. When we say Jesus Christ... Of course, we mean Jesus, Messiah. And he was waiting for the coming of the Christ. Well, when we think of Simeon, we think of this old saint who spent his days in the temple. He would get up and he would come into the temple. And in the morning, he would look for the Savior. He would look for the Christ. And he would be disappointed day after day. And he waited and he waited, and he waited. And every time he went looking for the Messiah, the Messiah was nowhere to be seen. The promise was not yet fulfilled. But Simeon was faithful. He just kept waiting, and he kept looking. And you know, there is a very important parallel for us in this. We are waiting for the return of the Messiah. The return of the Christ. We are waiting for the rapture of the church and subsequently the visible, physical second coming of Christ to set up his millennial kingdom upon the earth. And we wait and we wait. Critics of the Bible, critics of biblical Christianity often use this point to mock us. They said, You've waited over 2,000 years and still he hasn't come. He's not coming. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Many Jews lived and died 
before Messiah came the first time. Many of God's most precious saints have lived and died before his second coming, but it is going to happen. He is going to come again. And it is our responsibility to be faithful, to be looking to heaven for the coming of the chosen one, for the coming of our Savior. And that's what happened. That's what happened with Simeon. One day, one day, that promise was fulfilled. And as was his custom, he came to the temple. And in verses 27 through 30, we read, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon takes him up in his arms, this infant, and blessed God and said, Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He begins to praise God. Simeon's heart was ready to break through his chest all those years of waiting and waiting and waiting was worth it because the day was the day and he came into the temple and that day he came in and he saw this young poor couple holding the baby who was perhaps still clothed in pieces of cloth but instantly because of the gift of the Holy Spirit that was upon him He recognized him. What a moment. We just have to use our sanctified imaginations to try to understand the thrill of his soul, the joy of his heart. This was it. This infant, this baby was the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one who was going to come and release Israel from its bondage to bring the very salvation of God. This is a historic, amazing moment. But there's something else here. Something else very important that I want to point out to us this Christmas. And our second point is a Messiah for all peoples. The Jewish Messiah came not only for the consolation of Israel, but for the salvation of Of all peoples. Again in verse 29 it says. Lord now. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. That you have revealed to me. For my eyes. Have seen your salvation. Wow. My eyes have seen your salvation. He just saw a baby. And what a great instructive passage and reminder to us that salvation is not a concept or a philosophy or a religion. It is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ who would live a perfect, obedient life, who would die as a substitute for our sins and who would be raised victoriously from the grave and who would ascend gloriously To the right hand of the Father. The place of greatest power in the universe. He came to accomplish fully our salvation on our behalf. So that all we have to do is receive it as the free gift of God. 
This is the opposite of all the religions, all the other religions in the world. Biblical Christianity is unique. And I say biblical Christianity because certainly there are liberal, unbiblical forms of Christianity. But biblical Christianity is different from every other religion on the earth. They all say you have to do something to be saved. That you have to keep certain rituals and ceremonies or keep some rules or live some kind of moral life in order to achieve your salvation. And Christianity, biblical Christianity, says you are sinful. You can't accomplish your own salvation. God has accomplished it for you in Jesus Christ. You simply receive it freely, gladly, joyfully. And the work of Christ is applied to your heart, to your life. And you are saved. Then, in the power of Christ and the strength of Christ, you go forth doing good deeds, loving the people that you come across and living your life for the glory of God. But what a thought. My eyes have seen your salvation. Here's the thought. Simeon was holding salvation in his hands. Simeon was holding salvation in his hands. But don't miss verses 31 and 32. What verses? Verse 30 says, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The coming of the Messiah was prepared in the presence of all peoples. It wasn't done in secret. Angels announced it from heaven, from the heavens. It wasn't for just some elite group of people. Yes, it was for the glory of Israel. But it was for all peoples. Everywhere. No exceptions. It was for all people. From all people groups. From all nations. It was prepared in the presence of all peoples. This salvation that Simeon held was for everyone. And he would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. For the glory of Israel, but also the light of salvation for all the Gentile peoples all over the world. So the Jewish Messiah, and here's the thrust of this whole message. The Jewish Messiah would not only bring glory to Israel, but his mercy would spill over the banks of Israel and bring salvation to all nations. And what I really want to highlight in this whole series is that Simeon's announcement that the Messiah would bring salvation to all peoples A light of revelation to the Gentiles was not new, but the consistent message of all scripture. It wasn't like, wow, Simeon recognized something that we'd never heard before, not at all. Beginning in Genesis and moving forward, this has always been the message of the Bible. Isaiah 
preached this very message 700 years before this event occurred. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah clearly proclaimed that when Messiah came, he would come for all the peoples, all of them. In Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6, as Isaiah speaks for the Father, God the Father, says this, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's it. And it's an amazing statement. I heard John Piper preach on this one time and as only he could, he's like, saving the Jews was... Too easy for God. It had to be more than that. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was for all people. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach. Where? To the end of the earth. In Isaiah chapter 42 And verses 6 through 8, again, Isaiah speaking for the Father. I will, and the Father is talking about the coming of Messiah. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. Oh, when Messiah comes... I am going to give him, God says, as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Isaiah chapter 9. Maybe not all of you, but most of you, when you hear Isaiah chapter 9, will automatically think of Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 is one of the most preached passages at Christmas time. For unto you a child is given. For unto us a son is born. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his government and of his peace there will be no end. The government will be, Isaiah says, upon his shoulders. And we have heard so many sermons on that, but rarely do we ever hear a sermon on Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, the very beginning of the chapter. The chapter begins this way. In earlier times, speaking of God, in earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali With contempt. But later on, he will make them honored by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. O Gentiles, 
The day is coming when you, the people who walk in darkness, will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, a light will shine on you. Little bit of historical background here. The tribes, the Jewish tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, of course, were given plots of land by Joshua when they conquered the land of Canaan. But in the 8th century, the Assyrians came in and they conquered that part of Israel. And when they conquered that part of Israel, they deported most of the Jewish people and repopulated the areas of Zebulun and Naphtali, which historically came to be known as Galilee. They repopulated that area with Gentiles. Subsequently, the Jews tried many times to convert them to Judaism, but to no avail. And so the area ended up being uh, just a great mix of ethnically diverse Gentiles. When Jesus started his three-year earthly ministry, he began that ministry in Capernaum in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, in the area of Galilee. When Messiah comes and he begins his earthly ministry, he begins with the Gentiles. He had always. He had always come for them. This isn't going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Direct tie to Isaiah 9. And leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who was the light for the Gentiles? When it says that those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death have seen a great light, on them a great light has dawned, that great light is Jesus himself. Jesus came walking into the areas of Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles, and the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is to open the eyes of the nations to see the salvation of the Lord that they might live and breathe for the glory of God. Let me say that again. Jesus' mission has always been to open the eyes of the nations to see the salvation of the Lord that they might live and breathe for the glory of God. As I shared with you last week. Jesus was born. To bring glory to God. Through the worship of people. From every people group. 
As I started out last week, the implications of Christmas are massive. Massive. Yes, Jesus came to bring salvation to me and to you. But know this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem that he might spread the glory of God throughout the universe, through the spreading of the gospel to all nations, through seeing people saved and become worshipers of God from every people group on the face of the earth. This is not new, folks. This is the message of the Bible. This is a message that has been preached for hundreds of years. The great theologian and hymn writer, Isaac Watts, he knew this. Do you know he spoke on this subject? He wrote about this subject back in 1719 when he wrote one of the best loves still to this day, Christmas carols of all time. Do you know what its name is? Joy. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. In verse 4, it says this. I want you to catch this. Obviously, we're going to sing this in a few minutes, but I want you to catch this. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. That's what Simeon was saying. That's what Isaiah taught. That's what we must believe. For it is the message of the whole Bible. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you sent your son to be the glory of Israel. Thank you that you will save a remnant of the people of Israel. And thank you that you are also or have also sent your son to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles presented before all peoples. Thank you for bringing your great salvation to people like us. We are forever and eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.